Well, if you keep your Bibles open in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, as we continue in our series in Acts, let's pray as we get started. Gracious God, we thank you so much that your word is alive and active. We thank you that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we pray that your word would be at work in us by your Holy Spirit, transforming us, encouraging us, rebuking us, sustaining us, nourishing us, so that we may grow to be more like you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In my spare time, I like to do a little bit of uh, baking and cooking. Uh, The other day, I was making a pavlova, and I like to say that pavlova is a really healthy meal in and of itself. You know, it has limited fat, as long as you disregard the cream. Uh, It has a lot of protein because of all the egg whites. What's even more, it has fruit on it. What more could you ask for? But what would a pavlova be without egg whites and sugar? Well, nothing. What would coffee be without coffee beans? Just hot water. What would tennis be without a tennis ball? Be two people hanging around carrying bats. And what would a church be without Jesus? Well, it would be nothing. It would be a nice social club at one level, But if you take Jesus out of the church, or if we try and do our Christian walk in our own strength without Jesus, then it's not going to work out well. But today in Acts chapter 11, we're going to see a whole new group of people come to know Jesus and grow in Jesus because they kept their eyes on Jesus. So today we're going to see that wide evangelism is empowered by Jesus that deep discipleship comes from being encouraged in Jesus, and that generous support comes from being united to Jesus. So Luke begins this section with a bit of a throwback, uh, back to chapter 8, where he described the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first person to be killed because of believing in Jesus. After this, then followed an intense time of persecution in Jerusalem, which then led to the scattering of the early converts all around the countryside. They went everywhere. But this also had a bit of a positive side effect. In fact, a very good positive side effect. As they were scattering and running away, they continued to preach the word wherever they went. And here in chapter 11, we get a bit of a zoomed-in picture of how that played out in Antioch. So if you have a look with me from verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So the gospel is going out. It's going out about 500 kilometres away. That's pretty much from Toowoomba to Gladstone. But it's not just going out geographically, it's also going out ethnically. Yes, some did spread the word only amongst the Jews, but some of those unnamed faithful disciples 
spread the word even to the Greeks in Antioch. Now, Antioch in the first century uh, was the third biggest city in the empire. Uh, It was a significant hub for trade and for travellers. It was near the sea, so there was a port nearby. And the estimated population of Antioch at this time is around half a million people. Just for a bit of context, Toowoomba has 130,000 people. So here we are in this absolute epicentre of activity with all sorts of paganistic religions around, all different ideas, what do they do? Well, they proclaim the good news of Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and their ministry was extremely fruitful. Many people came to know the Lord and turn and believe in him. Now, let's just notice how both unremarkable but amazingly remarkable this is. These people spreading this news aren't anything extraordinary. They aren't even named in this passage. But they're just faithful people who are telling other people about Jesus. They aren't described as having any amazing programs or phenomenal speeches or fantastical ideas. Not even a degree in theology. No, just everyday people like you and me spreading the news about Jesus. Jesus is their core message. And Jesus is the one who is giving them the growth. Here's the thing about evangelism and and mission, is that Jesus is the subject and object of mission. That is, that we proclaim him. He is the source of mission. We only have good news because of what he has done for us. He is the goal of mission. We can only do it, and we want people to come to know him. He's the sustainer of mission. We can only do it in his strength. And when I say mission, I don't mean just paid missionaries overseas. No, I mean the thing that all of us should be involved in. Telling people about Jesus on whatever front lines he has placed us. And this can sometimes be scary. Can sometimes be a little bit big. Sometimes we feel underqualified. But here's the great news. We don't have to be remarkable. We don't have to be amazing evangelists with a great speech or fantastical methods of bringing people to him. We just have to be us. Everyday people who have been so captivated by the beauty and grace of Jesus that we want others to see just how amazing he is. People who love Jesus and want others to come meet him. People who pray intentionally and continuously for people to come to know him. Because it's not up to us to change hearts. It's not up to us to convert the masses. But just simply introduce people to Jesus. And he's the one who'll do the work. And what's even more is that as we go out, well, we don't go by ourselves, but we go out in the power and with the presence of the Holy Spirit, of the Lord's hand with us. In Antioch, it's just amazing to read about the fruit that comes when people do this. Many people coming to know Christ. And it's so amazing to see how God is at work here in Toowoomba and seeing the fruit that's here and and beyond. 
On the other hand, we may not see that, perhaps even after years of praying and telling a loved one about Jesus. But we may not know what number of conversation we are on the way that leads to them coming to Christ. We may not know how many people are actually praying for that same person. But we do know that God is the one who changes hearts. So we keep on fervently praying and faithfully and patiently proclaiming and partnering with the Spirit. And when people do turn, it encourages them in Jesus, which leads to deep discipleship. News of this remarkable ministry has come back to the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas to go and check out what was happening. Barnabas was first introduced to us in Acts, uh, where, he was, where we are told that he was called the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. And we are told in verse 24 in chapter 11 that he was a good man. He was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that some people are more full of the Holy Spirit than others, or that Barnabas was somehow extra spiritual. No, this is Luke describing Barnabas' character as a leader in the church. How he had a deep faith, how he had great maturity in the Lord. Luke doesn't point out how qualified he is, but points out what kind of character he has. And when Barnabas saw what the grace of God was doing, he gave thanks. He recognized that for people to come to Christ and for the church to grow, it's only by God's grace. So then here we have a mass of people who have turned to Christ. Now what? What's the next step? Well, it's to go deep with Jesus. Barnabas encourages them to remain true to the Lord with their whole heart. This is the sum of his ministry, encouraging people to remain with Jesus. I used to train people how to make coffee, and in these sessions, I would hopefully get them up to a certain point where they could just do it by themselves, and they could just follow all the steps, and all they needed was a bit of practice. And so there would come a point in time in the session where Uh, They would practice for a bit with me looking over their shoulder, ordering different coffee orders, drinking a lot of coffee, looking over their technique and encouraging them and correcting them with me reminding them of the steps that I showed them before. Reminding them to be faithful and to remain true to the proper way of making coffee. Well, this is what Barnabas was doing, but on a much grander scale and with something a whole lot greater than coffee making. He's pointing these disciples to Jesus and encouraging them to simply remain true to Jesus. Notice how ordinary this is again. There's no 10-step plan. There's no blogs. There are no programs. Barnabas simply tells the church to keep on doing what they are doing. Keep on pressing into Jesus. Look at me from verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God has done, he was glad and encouraged them them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. 
Growing as disciples and going deep with Jesus isn't all that complicated, is it? He doesn't give us a list of things to do for him. He doesn't give us stuff to do for him. But he simply wants us to remain true to him with everything. And yes, some practices and habits can be really so helpful in in helping us remain true to him. Uh, Habits such as gathering every Sunday, habits such as going to a small group midweek and serving alongside one another, having having fellowship with one another midweek and daily Bible reading and prayer, all these things can help us reorientate our lives back to him. And they should be with the goal for us to go deep in our relationship with him, for us to grow as disciples who go and make more disciples. And yes, long-term faithfulness and remaining true to Jesus sometimes can be hard work. It doesn't look all that fantastic or spectacular. But it bears so much fruit. It's like water dripping on a rock. We may not see the progress. But drip by drip, as we press into Jesus, as we remain with him, then we are growing deeper in him. And because of Barnabas' simple ministry among them and and the grace of God, the church began to multiply and grow. End of verse 24 says, that a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It continued to grow so much that Barnabas needed to bring in some reinforcements. So he went on a bit of a trek, uh, 210 kilometres, in fact, up to Tarsus to look for Saul. Previously in Acts, Barnabas had spoken on Saul's behalf in front of the apostles who were naturally afraid of Saul because previously Saul was an intense persecutor of the church. But having met Jesus and having turned to Jesus, he was especially chosen to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. So he seems like a fair, decent choice for Barnabas to bring him in, to join him in this Gentile region of Antioch. So eventually they meet, they come back, and they stay with the church for a whole year. They want to form deep relationships with the people there. They worked side by side. They gathered with the local congregations there, which would have involved things such as singing psalms, uh, reflecting on the good news of Jesus, sharing in the Lord's Supper together, and having time together over meals. Uh, They were involved in teaching people, educating people on who Jesus is and the significance of what he had done for them. And it must have been effective. Because we get told here, at the end of verse 26, that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They were called Christians first at Antioch. Uh, Here in Australia, we we love a good nickname for people, whether it's people's names lengthened or shortened or something completely entirely different. Uh, We use nicknames so much that I often forget what people's real names are. But there's really only one rule for nicknames. You're not allowed to give it to yourself. Someone else has to give it to you. In Antioch, 
This is sort of what was happening with these disciples. They didn't come up with this name of Christians themselves, but the name was given to them. Because they must have lived in such a way that reflected Jesus, and they must have proclaimed the name of Jesus and that Jesus is the Christ so much that they were known to belong to Jesus, that they were known to belong to Christ or as a Christian. They were noticed to be followers of Christ with their actions and words, and they were marked out by the other people surrounding them by their name. Now, I wonder if you've ever really stopped and thought about what it means to be given the title Christian. What does it mean to be marked out as one of Christ's by our name? Well, when we are called Christians, we are labelled as one of Christ's, as, as someone who belongs to Jesus. And so this comes with some certain responsibilities, doesn't it? A responsibility of showing off just how great Jesus is. It also comes with a bit of a weightiness, doesn't it? A weightiness of being representatives of Jesus, of living in a way that proclaims Jesus. So on our front lines, whether people know that we are Christians or not, we have an amazing opportunity, don't we? On one side, there's a potential and opportunity to turn people away from Jesus if we don't act with love and with grace and when we don't live as he wants us to live. But on the other hand, there's the opportunity to show love and grace of Jesus in our interactions with others, in our work ethic, in our hospitality, even in the way that we own up to our mistakes to show just how great he is. And all of this will be the natural fruit of deep discipleship. Of coming again day after day and seeing just how amazing Jesus is. Of faithfully and simply remaining true to him with all our hearts. Another fruit will be generous support. Look at me at verse 29. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is really quite a remarkable sign of their maturity as believers already, even so young in their faith. They had heard in verse 27 that there was going to be a famine in the land by the prediction of Agabus. And they were proactive in supporting their fellow brothers and sisters. Just as an interesting aside, uh, this famine actually happens. Josephus, a first century historian, records that there were quite serious food shortages in Judea in this area at this time. But notice, uh, the church in Antioch weren't commanded to give money. They weren't demanded by the church to share what they had but it was all their own initiative. Because they had been so captivated by how Christ had been so generous to them, this then spilled over into being generous with others. There wasn't a set amount, but each of them gave as they were able. And it's the same for us today, 
we give and we support the local church and other organisations not out of obligation or because of some rule, but because Christ has given of himself to us. His sacrifice and generosity in giving up his own life for us should shape how we are generous with others and with, with what we have and with our time, with our finances or our homes as places of hospitality. Christ has given us his all and he calls on us to do the same. Knowing that all we are and that everything we have, well, is for him. And this will be a natural outworking of us growing even in more in gratitude and growing deeper in our relationship with Jesus. If we take Jesus out of the picture and if we try and do the Christian walk in our own strength, we're left with nothing. But in fact, who Jesus is and what he has done for us in the gospel should shape absolutely everything that we do. It should shape our wide evangelism, letting people know about the great love of Jesus, knowing that we don't have to be extraordinary, <laughs> but simply let people know who he is and knowing that he is with us every step of the way. It should shape how we mature, simply remaining in Jesus and with Jesus with our whole hearts and using the opportunities and patterns and habits and behaviours that we develop to point us back to Jesus, our Saviour. may not seem all that remarkable, but long-term faithfulness bears amazing fruit. It should shape how we use our resources and our finances, giving and helping our brothers and sisters in need and supporting the work of ministry because Jesus has been so generous to us in dying in our place in giving us all of himself. Because the simple news that Jesus is Lord of all, that Jesus has taken away sin and conquered death, isn't overly complicated, but it's stunningly beautiful and transformational. So let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Loving Lord, we thank you so much that you are Lord of all. We thank you so much that you sent your only Son to come for us, to die for us, to reconcile us back to you, and to conquer sin and death, and that he is Lord of all. And so we pray that this good news will resound in our hearts and in our lives spilling out into every facet and in every area, in how we share the gospel, in how we mature in you, and in how we use our resources. Heavenly Father, help us to live faithfully as living sacrifices so that others may see our lives, but see you at work in us. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.